0: In today's episode of Taking Care, our guest discusses issues relating to mental health and suicide. We advise listeners to listen with caution if these issues may be difficult for you and it may not be appropriate for younger listeners. Before we begin, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger. So today we're traveling to the Kimberley to meet a young doctor who's living and practicing medicine in one of the more remote places in our country. We're keen to hear how healthcare and life really is different. What are the challenges and the joys of working in a setting that many of us rarely experience, but one which is in many ways iconic for us as Australians. So joining me today is Dr. Katie Gault. Hi, Susan.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Maybe you can start by telling us a bit about your story. How did you end up working in the Kimberley?
1: Yes, it's always an odd place to find yourself, especially during a pandemic year. I grew up in Melbourne and I did most of my training as a doctor down there. And I think as any young doctor, you always aspire to be able to travel overseas, Um, and go to weird and wonderful places with your training, which is, I guess, what the joys of being a doctor can be, especially a GP. And after fellowing as a GP and settling back into work in Melbourne, I found myself over a few years just really having that urge to get out again and travel. So I popped into Google um, Jobs in the Kimberley and found the job in, um, in Derby. I decided that you know what better time than now to get in your car and tra- drive around Australia and check out parts of the country that I've never seen before. Um, and I'd never been to WA and I definitely have never been to the Kimberley, so it sounded like a good adventure to me. Um, I bought a four wheel drive with lots of advice from my friends. A mate came with me and we did a really nice summer road trip, eventually arriving in this foreign town called Derby um, after having to wait it out for three days in Coral Bay for a cyclone to pass for the roads to be safe to drive. This tropical paradise with birds in the trees at night, the smell of the frangipanis and that kind of the feeling of that humid sweat in the air but feeling excited for what adventure was coming around the corner. On a professional
0: and maybe even a personal level it would be Great to hear what you found challenging and rewarding. Maybe let's start with rewarding.
1: Most people will say once they've been up here, you know, the Pindans dirt gets under your skin and it's really hard to leave. Um, once you start exploring the Gibb River Road and all the beautiful gorges, getting out onto the marsh that surrounds Derby with the huge high tides, um, seeing how the Boabs can change throughout the year, through the seasons um, and, just getting those giant, big open skies that you get up here to watch for the morning sunrise and evening sunset. It's a really rewarding place to be for a lot of the time, especially if your work's really stressful. Um, It gives you a lot of time to just think and ponder about nature and how beautiful it is. So I think most of people that come up here look for adventure, they love fishing, camping, Um, going for driving and getting to know a bit about culture that we don't know much about. Um, So I've also found it really rewarding and privileged to be invited into, you know, these beautiful Aboriginal communities that are very remote up here, getting to fly to work some days. We sometimes fly out to um, Mitchell Plateau um, and another community up the Gibb called Koopengarry. and another one called Jalmadanga which we drive to, and getting to go into these very remote communities that have kept themselves quite isolated for the reason that they wanted to keep their culture, be out in nature, um, and still be learning the traditional ways. Um, I guess it's, yeah, seems really nice to be able to be out with these people and learn from their stories, see through their eyes and find out why they wanna be in such a remote setting. So I've also found, the work itself very rewarding. Um, you know, we get stuck in Melbourne and in city clinics having 15 minutes to see a patient. Up here, you know, you get as long as you like, really. Um, people sit and wait and they're happy to wait. And once you get them into your room, you can really spend as much time with them as needed. And sometimes it's a lot of time. It's also very rewarding working with, you know, people that have... Their own lessons to teach us about bush medicine, Um, their inner beliefs about the spiritual world up here and how they can be really tied in with their health as well. Um, I think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on diagnosis and treatment when it comes to medicine but there's so much to be said for your community, your culture and feeling like you belong in a community that has a lot of you know, core values and past knowledge to go down through the generations. And we find a lot of people become unwell when they move to places that are not where they're from, not their local lands. And then once they're back on country, you know, their health outcomes just improve from being around their people and doing what they enjoy. I get my most time with my antenatal patients because I run the antenatal clinic at at DARS, DOB Aboriginal Health Service, where I work. Um, And so I do get a full day to schedule in my antenatal patients. And we do this thing called um, the Kimberley Mental Health Screen or the KMMS. Um, And it's meant to give you time to work out whether a pregnant woman's at risk um, while they're here Um, of depression and anxiety and things that can come with pregnancy. But it also has a huge emphasis on taking a history on the social sides of things as well. So you might get a number score at the end, but it doesn't really mean anything. And the biggest risks come with what you find out when you find out about their home setting, what it was like growing up when they were a kid, what it's bringing up for them now. And some women come into the appointment very closed off, not much eye contact giving you one-word answers about their pregnancy and their home life. And then you start doing this um, screening tool with them and you're asking them just lots of questions about what was good about their childhood, what they're excited about, what the home life's like. And after they've had lots of time to tell you lots of stories, then suddenly they have seemed to be, they open up more and more and more and then they start giving you eye contact and they start telling you some really personal things that become things that you feel like you might be able to help address. Women who present saying that they're all good and it's all good at home, you realise they're quite isolated, There's a lot of family violence. They've had family violence to themselves as a child and they're worried about it in the future, but they're really keen to make positive changes for their child that's about to come into this world so they don't have to follow the same path that they did. Um, And once you've started engaging with them and, you know, they're kind of letting you know that they want to make these changes, then they start accepting the help. So we've got a really great social well-being team at our clinic where we can send people over to and they've got um, lots of staff that can help sit with the women bring them to appointments try and assist them with getting their own bank cards so they can get financial independence um trying to help them get into women's refuges if they need to and a lot of the time they wouldn't ask for help if you didn't set, like spend that hour talking to them um, and earning their trust and of course you can't just get trust in an hour at takes months or years, but I think you definitely have time to chip away if you don't have any time pressures on you, um, which is what's really great about working up here. I presume there may have been some challenging things. Uh, Are there some challenging elements of your, your job? There's always challenges. I think firstly, the challenges of being in Derby or the Kimberleys in general is that it is a harsh country. It's hot constantly. Um, you always have to think twice before you leave the house that you've got enough water in the car, you've got your insect repellent on, your sunscreen in the back, and you have to think twice before you jump into any bodies of water because of the crocodiles and recently shark attacks in Broome as well, which is always a biggest big surprise. Um, when it comes to working at the clinic itself, I guess the biggest challenges are, that you're not just treating the disease you're treating the person and the whole background that comes with that person's upbringing um, I think you've we find that most of the challenges with health up here come from the intergenerational trauma that's been suffered before the lack of sort of resilience that or well, no probably they have a lot of resilience because of the things that they've had to see and go through from generation to generation and It's really hard to treat someone's physical illness when there's so much stuff that's happening at home and so many complex layers that are hard to work through. The perfect example is trying to treat one of the common skin conditions, scabies or school sores, um, that can happen in the school kids up here. You know, you go to try and tell them that they need to wash their clothes um, in really hot water at night and then take all their bed sheets off and things like that. And then you find out that the kid doesn't actually have a house that they're living in at the moment. They're moving from house to house um, and the mum is asking them why they haven't been washing their own clothes and they're only a nine year old. Um, And so that's heartbreaking when you're just trying to give your routines feel about how to get rid of scabies, and you realise the whole issue is you know, the roof over their head, the money to buy the the detergent to wash the clothes, having enough clean clothes to be able to change over to, um, and having to maybe share your bedroom with about three or four people so the scabies might just spread from person to person. Um, So I think it's the challenges come from the biopsychosocial model that we talk about in training, but it really is happening up here that it's what's happening with the... um, the psychology of everyone in the home as well as the actual physical environments of the home Um, and uh, it just makes it really, really hard to get your work done when you know that you're going to be sending someone back to a setting that might not be ideal for them to recover from their illness or can continue treatment for a chronic illness. Um, Yeah, when there's so many other strains on them and priorities that might not be matching your priorities for their treatment.
0: It sounds like it's a bit of a team effort, providing culturally safe and appropriate care. Um, Katie, who are the other key players on the team?
1: Yeah, so we're really lucky at the work I'm at, which is, as I've said, the Derby Aboriginal Health Service. Um, it's, there's about five full-time doctors and most of them are female, which is really hard to get <laughs> so many female GPs in one spot. Um, But we could not do our work if it wasn't for everyone else that was in the building. So we've got fantastically trained nurses who have been working up in the Kimberley for years, some of them up to 30 years at our practice. Um, And we've got trained Aboriginal health workers who work similar and alongside our nurses, triaging our patients and um, helping doing the dressings, breaking down any cultural barriers if there's been any confusion or patients that are really not wanting to come into the clinic because of the fear of health and being sent to hospital and never getting out again. Um, the Aboriginal health workers have been a really great um, bridge to sort of bring someone in, earn the trust, let them have a yarn for a while um, and find out you know, a little bit more about why they're there um, before they have to come and see one of us and talk about the serious stuff. So um, that's always really helpful. Um, sometimes. We might be able to gain the trust with somebody to come in and see the health workers or the nurses for, you know, a horrible diabetic foot or something that they they really don't want to come into hospital or to come into the clinic because they're afraid it'll get amputated, which can happen. Um, but they will agree to come in and have the dressing with the health worker every couple of days, and sometimes just those regular dressings is enough to f- save a foot in some situations. Um, we've also got great staff like our drivers um, at the clinic who will go and pick, well, Derby's a small town, we don't have any buses, we don't have any trains, Um, lots of people don't have cars. It's about 40 degrees someday and people will walk to the clinic um, in the blaring heat, but a lot of them would prefer to get picked up. So, um, we've got um, really beautiful drivers that will go to houses, searching patients out from house to house, if there's someone we really need to see. Um, And, They'll go into houses where there's dogs that aren't chained up and get bitten on the leg occasionally. They will knock on lots of boarded up windows until they find the person if it's an emergency. Or they'll also just go around and pick someone up if they have a phone and they don't have a way to get in. Um, So without them, they have a really good internal knowledge um, of the community and where someone might be if they're not in their normal house. They know what extended family they might be staying with or traveling to and um, they're usually really good at doing the investigative work if we really need to find someone. So um, I don't think we give our drivers enough credit. Um, And who else is really important at the clinic? Well, we've got lots of extra external teams. So there's the social wellbeing team that I was talking about, which is um, made up of sort of on the site trained social workers um, and Aboriginal liaison officers that end up They've been in the service for so long that they just get the training from doing the work and being with the people. Um, And we can send most of our patients over in crisis and we know that they're gonna be in really safe hands. They'll do a lot of home visits um, to people in crisis, sometimes spending up to 20 hours a week with one client if they really need the help. Um, But they're a very under-resourced area. and there's we've got a great new manager who's come into the team this year from down south who's trying to get the system flowing a little bit better so that the referral system's a bit easier. They can handle the load of all the clients that need to come through there um but they're really crying out for more funding more money um and more staff if at the moment, I think not having enough Um, counsellors and trained psychologists in Kimberley is a big thing Um, and uh, especially trauma-based counselling is a real area of need um, because I think a lot of the problems that we're having are coming from this past trauma and current trauma that patients are suffering Um, and there's just not very many people with very specialised skills in that area that we can refer them to. We've got general counsellors that are great um, and a lot of people that have experienced similar things who are now taking on the baton of helping out Um, and they're a wealth of knowledge. But I, I think it's still not exactly the same as some of the expertise that can come from proper trained trauma counsellors. Maybe it's a good opportunity to talk to us about the state of mental health in remote
0: communities and particularly for Indigenous communities.
1: Coming from Melbourne when I I worked as a GP there where they say that 70% of your day can sometimes be mental health (laughs) Um, and especially if you're a, a good listening female GP you will get a lot of people coming in with mental health problems. And they're all very real um, and true. And I think I went through a box of tissues in my first week of practice um, as a GP. But um, coming into the Kimberleys, mental health it just seems like a completely different ball game. It is an an area where depression, anxiety, post traumatic stress, and this past trauma and current trauma really have an ingrained effect on a lot of people's souls. And you could speak to most patients here and they will have had, you know, at least one or two good relatives or friends commit suicide. And in the last few years, it's probably, you know, they could say that three, two or three of their friends have killed themselves this year. And it's a true stat. And so there's been a huge push and emphasis on suicide prevention in the Kimberleys at the moment. There's a lot of training programs that are coming up trying to evaluate what's happening at the moment and what needs to change. Um, and a lot of extra training that's going on in trying to train health workers into identifying people at risk and then having the tools and the resources of where to send people when you think that they are at risk. Um, I myself find it really hard to sometimes take a good mental health history because from when I'm talking about depression and suicidality and things in, in Victoria with patients, you know, they'll break down, they'll cry, Um, their whole demeanor will change. When I talk about suicide risk with some of my patients up here, they'll have the same facial expressions. They won't have changed. It's like it's a complete norm for them. They've always felt like this. It's not a big surprise talking about it because everybody else around them um, has gone through it. It's not like they think that they're the only one it's just the norm, um, you know, I will have asked somebody, oh, how how are you going? Have you got any symptoms of depression or anxiety with one of my pregnant girls? And she said, oh, no, I, I'm all good at the moment. And then I say, have you re- ever had any times where you've thought about hurting yourself? And she said, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, I, I, I was, I tried to hang myself a few months ago, you know, and for them that was, you know, they're all good now um, and, They think that they're not at risk currently and that they've got good supports. And often it is in a reaction to something, a relationship breaking up, um, them losing a job, um, payments being cut off, something like that. Um, And then as soon as things are a little bit easier, you know, they've got a better house to stay in, someone looking after them or someone that's there for them. Um, They don't feel that quick urge to need to take such an extreme um, measure to help um, change the situation that they're in. That must have a, a big impact on
0: not only on you, Katie, personally, but also on your whole team at the, um, the clinic dealing with this day in, day out, year in, year out, I Yeah,
1: and I think that's the, the main issue with why it's so understaffed. Um, there's huge... <sighs> Um, care of burnouts vicarious trauma that health workers experience up here and without having good supports and a good way to escape and find your own way to get back to good mental health yourself you probably could burn out and leave quite quickly um, you know that there's a friend of mine who's only come up here to work uh, just finished her degree um, as a social worker counselor and she's only she was placed here on her own in the in derby to work for her first job full time without any supports and you know she's wanting to leave and it's only been a few months so yeah it's a really it can be really tough and that's why i think they this evaluation of how things have been going up here and trying to change the system a little bit having more locally trained workers would be ideal because at least for them You know, they've been through it, they've lived in these situations, and hopefully they have a really good toolkit without feeling the shock of how much actually has been going on for in these communities.
0: If you're enjoying listening to this episode, which we really hope you are, you might want to listen to one of many other discussions. For example, to hear a different but related topic. Here's a clip from another episode about healthcare in rural and remote communities, also. This is Hannah Mann. She's a pharmacist in the Kimberley. Some days I'll work in clinics and I'll finish at the end of the day and think, I don't know if I was a pharmacist today. I don't know if the work I did was a pharmacist work. It's education, it's support, it's advocacy. It's a whole heap of other things where you think, you know what, I'm not just, we're not just pharmacists in rural and remote. So search for taking care in your podcast player. Now back to today's guest, Katie Galt. I think we'd be interested to know what do you see as some of the some of the keys to improving some of the everyday um, health challenges that people in remote communities face.
1: It's always the big question on how you fix the challenges, isn't it, in these kinds of areas? Um, there's a lot of, I think, I, there's a lot of positives that are going on in the community at the moment. Um, uh, my clinic itself um, started a, funded an ad campaign this year where they've been trying to promote um, really positive local Aboriginal people who are making a difference in the community, to be an inspiration for children um, growing up in Derby and around the area, to make them know that they can become whatever they want to be, and through that, stay healthy, I guess. Um, So we've got one of the youth workers as one of the representatives, um, an Aboriginal girl who's now become a doctor, um, a famous basketball player and a few other people. And that campaign's been doing really well um, and it's bringing lots of people in for their health checks. Um, I think it needs to come from the community to make change. Um, You need a lot of locally trained people who are passionate about making a difference. Uh, Just in the way
0: that many of these challenges are not just health challenges. Um, They require solutions that are not just health solutions. It's very much more holistic. What advice would you have to someone who might be thinking about working in a remote setting?
1: Working in a remote setting is something that everyone should do if they've been thinking about it Um, and should do even if they haven't really been thinking about it for a little while because it really gives puts things into perspective for you when um, you come from a city and see how different it is when you're out remote. It's a beautiful place to learn and have time to think. Um, it's a lot more quiet. There's so much more access to nature and, as I was saying, in place, ways to unwind. Um, but it can be isolating. So I guess you do need to have your own toolkit when you go out remote and knowing that you've got people that you can zoom in on um, and have a chat with your family whenever you want Um, whether it's going for nice long walks going to the pool and doing some laps doing some meditation and having hobbies that you fall back on which aren't all work related try and really get in touch with the community that you're working with and not just staying in your home I think a lot of people might come up to a place that feels foreign, go to work, go home, sit in the air conditioning where it feels comfortable and then go back to work again. As I think if you can get out and go to the cultural events, go to the rodeo um, or whatever's on in town um, and just start to become a bit of a member of the community, meet a lot of the people, not just in the work setting. I think you get a real veil over your over you when you're trying to see people as patients. But when you meet people out of the clinic in their natural sort of happy environment, when they're out having fun with their friends and family, you can really sit down and have a good yarn um, and learn a lot more about you know, the nice things that are happening for people and learn a bit more about the land and the culture and the language. Um, And just see a different side of the world that you might never have seen before. What do you most hope to see in your community in the future? In the future for Derby and for many of the areas in the Kimberley, I really hope to see a preservation of knowledge, that there needs to be, and there is a big emphasis on trying to maintain culture, try to write down language, get all the dreaming stories written down, um, and passing down all the good things that can come, come from having such an ancient culture up here. Um, at the moment, you know, language is being lost, Um, It's not really taught at the schools, which is sad. Um, But there are some great um, changes happening uh, where people are sitting down with some of the elders, writing beautiful books that you can read. Um, And the elders are taking people out on country and trying to teach some of the dreaming stories and language. The future for Derby would be one where we do see... More, how, like, more options for housing with less people under one roof, um, more access to good mental health and domestic violence services, um, more emphasis on primary health prevention in sec- instead of secondary health prevention, which is what we have to focus on in the clinic um, because we often get in too late. Well, I think this conversation today has raised some huge
0: challenges for us resonation. Uh, they're challenges that we on some level know of course uh, but Katie you brought those challenges to life with your honesty and your insight and just by sharing real people and real stories with us. So I want to thank you Dr. Katie Gold, for the work you do every day in your community and thank you particularly for for bringing healthcare and health issues in the Kimberley into a real focus for us today. It's been a very um, very insightful discussion so thank you so much and thank you listeners for listening today to this episode if you have any feedback or questions please email us at communications at opera.gov.au or to hear more episodes of our podcast please subscribe to taking care wherever you get your podcasts or just search for
1: taking care and we'll see you next time